Today on episode number 585 of the School of Podcasting, I'm back from the first ever National Podcast Power Conference. And, you know, one of the easiest ways, the most effective ways to really connect with your audience is to see them face to face. So today we're going to talk about meetups and events that you can plan for your audience. Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005. I am your, your very own, just put me right there in your pocket, your personal podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so very much for tuning in. I realize there's a lot of things you could be doing right now, and I just want to let you know I deeply appreciate it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring my 20 plus years of helping people understand technology. We're going to massage your message, tackle the technology, flatten the learning curve, and face your fears, and get you on the road to not just podcasting, because there's a ton of outdated YouTube videos that'll help you do that. We're going to get you podcasting in the right direction. Our website is schoolofpodcasting.com. If you feel like signing up, I'd love to have you on the inside. Use the coupon code LISTENER. So I just got back from National Podcast Power, met a lot of really cool people. I met uh, some guys from Podcast Detroit, and it's Bob and Dave. They actually have like four different studios going and they're charging people $25 an hour is the minimum. And they just have, it's just booked nonstop. So if you're in Detroit or somewhere near them, check out podcastdetroit.com. It's another way people are making money with podcasting is renting out their studio for other people to record, record podcasts. And I, while I was there, the day after I got to, I did like a basement tour. I went to uh, Nick Suberling's basement the night of the last night of the the conference, and then I actually went to Daryl McCullough's house uh, the day after. And what we're going to hear today are some people who have done events, and then I'm bringing on Chris Kermitsos, who's done thousands of events. Planning events is like his main gig. He's the guy that does uh, Podfest.us. He's the executive producer of the Messengers podcast, and he's going to give us some tips. If you've ever thought of doing a live event, I know I was listening on the way home. I was listening to uh, Biz Chicks with Natalie Ekdahl. Natalie has a live event going on. And so we're going to talk, and, and next week I'm going to be interviewing more people about this. This isn't. It's going to be kind of an ongoing thing. This episode is primarily focusing on Events. I think in the future, I'm going to have little miniature segments because there are things like meetups and different types of events as we go through. So it's something I'm interested in. And so we're going to be talking about that. But my the favorite thing was I went over to Daryl's house the day after the event. And well, was he a little tired? Here's what he had to say. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I, I, I'm happy, but I'm exhausted. Right. It's a good kind of tired. It's a great kind of tired. Absolutely. Right. So I asked Chris Kremitzos, where do you start when it comes to planning an event? So the first thing you need to really start with is what is the objective of my event? What am I trying to accomplish? Am I, uh, is it an educational event? Is it a meet and greet event? Uh, so first thing we need to do is figure out what is our objective. So Dave, give me an objective that you want me to go down the path. If you give me an objective, I'll give you how to run it. Well, let's say at this point, I'm not trying to make money. I just want to have, I want to get to know my listeners better. So it's, it's a meet and greet kind of thing. So here's what I'll tell you. Um, your listeners are probably, if you're like Dave or anyone else, your listeners are sacred. They're part of your community, but you have to understand your listeners don't know each other. 
if you're a solo podcaster and you want to throw a meet and greet with your listeners, there's a couple things you need to understand. You can't just have people showing up saying, hey, Dave, I love your show, because now you're going to have people lined up to talk to you. And it creates kind of a, uh, a traffic jam, so to speak. So you have to orchestrate it. And maybe you have a friend or a volunteer to uh, run the front desk. Very simple thing. Just a little registration desk. And uh, you could have some uh, name tags that you buy from Office Depot or Staples. They're $4.99. Last time I checked for 200 And you uh, make sure that their names are on the name tags. Maybe you want to write down what their interest is or, you know, what their podcast is, whatever it is that you want to kind of maybe put something, a character trait on the name tag underneath their names. And this is something that I see a lot of events blow. And that is put the name on both sides of the tag. If you're not doing the like, hello, my name is sticker. So that when that thing flips around, which it will, you can still see the person's name. Otherwise you have to politely without grabbing somebody's boob, like flip their name tag over so you can see who the heck you're talking to. But once you know what type of event it is, then you have to figure out where you're going to have this. Yeah, if it's if you just want to get together with your uh, listeners, uh, the library is a great place. A lot of times uh, it's free of charge to um, reserve a library or a local restaurant because uh, having food is actually a huge benefit. Uh, you just never know where people are coming from. Uh, sometimes, let's say they're working really late and they need to eat something. Uh, I always like to check like uh, delis or IHOPs or anything like that that have extra rooms off to the side. A lot of times they'll give it to you for free as long as they know, you know, half of the people that are attending are going to eat. This Here's my one qualification. Make sure there's no music in the background. And that's hard to do. Uh, or, it or, is hard to do because some people will go, oh, I'm going to go to Chili's. They have a, a room in the back. Well, if that music is blaring, you can't – no one could really hear. And um, um, my assumption is you don't have an AV system you're bringing with you if you're just a normal uh, person. Right. Uh, so you, you need to find a quiet place because you need to interact and talk. And that's I, I, that's the biggest mistake I see a lot of people making. They find like a really cool hangout place where they could all like – uh, a lot of people want to interact with their fans, and here's what they're envisioning, and I want to make sure I paint this picture. Oh, we're all going to sit at the table and have a great time together and have drinks. And yeah, that's good, but the assumption that you're making is that your your listeners or fans know each other, which they don't. So it's a very awkward interaction. And then because there's background music and people are getting stuff, no one really gets to know each other, so there's no real bonding. So that's um, that's a pretty big mistake people make, uh, and that, that would be something rookie. You don't realize it, but... Your listeners don't know each other, so you need to create a process for everybody to get to know each other to bond the community even deeper. And don't forget to reach out to people you know. There may be somebody in your immediate network that has a connection to some place where you can hold your meetup, where you can hold up your event. Here's Daryl. We looked at different places to go, and a friend who's a singer and also the co-host on our show, Carmen Miller, said, why not go to Fatfish Blue in Perrysburg? So your network can actually help you open up doors, but also keep in mind that your network may not always be entirely honest when it comes to, oh, I would love to attend your event. You think you have a big circle, but when you put on an event and you're charging people, that's when you find out how big your circle is. Nick Suberling does the Cincinnati Soccer Talk podcast. And when I asked him, where did he come up with the idea of a bus ride? I, I'm good friends with Corey Finneran from IV Envy, right. and he had been doing bus trips for many, many years to go to Cubs games. Hmm. And it was the very, so the, after the very first season of FC Cincinnati, 
It's a brand new soccer team. This is just our second season. I was like, we're doing a bus trip. So how do you go about bus shopping? How do you figure out where the event's going to be? Again, don't recreate the wheel. Sometimes people in your network might know how to start in the right direction. So I, I did ask him a, a couple questions about the, the bus, and he said the first thing you should do is just find somewhere local to Cincinnati um, rather than trying to find one of the national carriers. You probably could get a better deal that way. Hmm. And so I started shopping around different uh, transportation companies in Cincinnati. Uh, a couple of different uh, companies didn't have any buses available uh, on that the particular weekend we were going and then I found, I found one that, you know, had a, a rate that was affordable and that was within our budget. Uh, we wanted to keep the tickets relatively cheap because we wanted people to, you know, actually want to go. Right. You know, if it, I, I didn't think that a hundred dollar bus trip would be something people were interested. I was trying to keep it lower to thirty, forty, fifty dollars right. if possible. Uh, so fortunately, we found a bus that had enough seats that uh, that was going to be quite affordable. And so, because I, I guess we should say that in this case, you weren't using this as a money maker. You're just nope. trying to break even. Is that a case where, when you talk about lunch, had that already been factored into the the price? Yeah. So I, I the the everything that was included in the price of the ticket for the day hmm. was for the match itself, for the lunch tailgate, and then that was it. And some of the snacks that I bought at Costco was kind of factored into that price as well. So like. All the pop I bought, all the all the snacks, uh, pretzels, that sort of thing. So it was all factored into that price. At National Podcast Power, Fatfish Blue, where they held the event, actually had a kitchen and supplied food during the day, which was very nice. But when it comes to food, well, things can get a little tricky. The challenge in today's uh, marketplace is people have so many different food um, preferences and allergies. Mm. Uh, it's very tough to... like. If you're in a food establishment, one, you can't bring food in. Right. So you have to understand that. You can't bring in a cheese plate if you're at a restaurant that's giving you a private room. Uh, what what we do, let's say we really want to uh, do a meet and greet. Let's We do this local place here by us called McAllister's Deli. I'll go buy drinks. You know, So drinks will be on my tab. Uh, so, so there's no alcoholic drinks there. It's iced tea or whatever. And I'll buy some cookies and then I'll say, Hey, if you want to eat something, go help yourself, you know, buy whatever you want to eat, but drinks and cookies are on me. Just make sure to tell them to put on my tab. Uh, and that really is a nice thing. It's a, it's a really nice gesture. Um, and people really appreciate it, but I wouldn't go too overboard with, uh, catering in unless you, unless you want to, you know, unless you have a really thriving community and you can find a sponsor to cater the food, then, you know, you go for it. But, um, the, the challenge with food is it gets in the way of conversation. So if you know that you're going to do food, you need to leave at least a half hour before you start the conversation because people are eating. So you want to kind of get that out of the way. Then on Saturday morning, we left uh, at 9 a.m. from the Target parking lot in downtown Cincinnati. And then we were in Pittsburgh. After about four and a half hours, we got to Pittsburgh. We organized a lunch. That was one of the things that, you know, I was like, okay, we're going to have to feed these people. Because we're going to be here hours before kickoff. So I was trying to organize a tailgate. We were trying to organize food for for folks. How are people going to eat? How are people going to drink? So we had to take care of that. So we went to, I went to Costco the night before, got a bunch of pop, got a bunch of paper plates, got a bunch of uh, like snacks to Mm -hmm. eat. And then we str- we really struggled with how are we going to feed these folks? Like a, a actual meal. Right. And so, I went around trying to find like different sub places, and then finally I just called the local pizza joint 
I think it was Domino's, and said, uh, I need this amount of pizzas. And they're like, okay. And for the most part, you think you're good to go when it comes to, well, when in doubt, just go with pizza and chicken. So people, like a few days before the trip, said, uh, we're vegetarians. We noticed you're going to be feeding us. Uh, will you have a vegetarian option? Surprise. Right. And, you know, oddly enough, I'm friends with Corey, who is a vegetarian. You would have think that I would know this. Out of all the trips we've gone to Vegas, where we've had to make sure there was a vegetarian option, how is it that that didn't cross my mind? But fortunately, it worked out. They could eat a cheese pizza if they wanted to. Now, in Nick's case, he wasn't doing an education kind of event where you had to sell tickets. This was just tickets to have people get on the bus. But even without the educational, without a hotel, things get a little tricky when it comes to reserving a bus and with tickets. There was a deposit I had to make. Okay. And it was not not too bad. Right. It was it was okay enough where it was worth the risk of pushing forward, paying the deposit. Right. And then and, and yeah. So there was a deposit at first. And then I think it was by the week before the trip it had to be paid in full. And so by that point, we had sold all the tickets and that was fine. If you are doing an educational type of seminar where you have teachers or maybe it's just you doing the training, that's a little different. And there are some steps here from Chris that you can do to help sell tickets to the event. One, you got to find a venue. So you have to figure out what kind of ticket price you want to sell. If it's a one-day conference, two-day conference, is it a three-hour workshop? It all depends. First thing you need to do is figure out who are your educators. Are you the only educator? Or are you bringing other people to do education with you? And then you need to gauge the excitement of your crowd. And one of the things I recommend is if you're starting out and you know you have 100 or 10 core people that would probably attend something like this, I would call them up personally or send them an email. And it would say something like, Dave, uh, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm planning on doing this training. I really would love for you to be there. Tickets are going to be, I don't know, two ninety nine, but um, I'm giving a half price special for my core community members that I know would find a lot of value and that I really want to attend. So I try and lock up as many pre-sales as I can before I actually publish the actual um, sale price. Uh, and I would reward my core listener base uh, on that special to then create what we call the the, the concrete foundation of the event. Now, if you're having multiple speakers, I can shed a little light on this because I was the director of podcasting for the New Media Expo. And what I did was months before your event, if you have that kind of time frame, you want to put a submission up. You know, we're accepting submissions if you do this. Some events, the director just knows people in the industry and asks them. So some places will accept submissions and some people will not. But realize if you're accepting submissions, that means you're going to have to tell people no. And what I did, I took my teaching background. I came up with some criteria of this is what will make somebody go in the yes pile. This is what will make somebody go in the no pile. One of them was I put very clear directions on my submission form. And if you didn't follow the directions, you went right in the absolutely not pile. So keep that in mind. Also, when you're doing something like this, realize there are a couple of things that are going to make it very awkward. And one is there's politics involved here. So you want to make sure to, like, I'm a white dude. And if I just pick a bunch of white dudes, I'm going to just get, you know, I'm going to get a party in the parking lot because, you know, you got to remember 
that people will be looking at that. And it's your event. You can do whatever you want, but be sure to have diversity, men, women, people of color, all those types of things that play into politics. You're going to get scrutinized when you do that. So I say that so that you know what you're getting into. If you say, hey, I'm going to have some speakers at my event, it it might get a little icky. And the other awkward, there's no way around this. When you have to tell somebody, no, you didn't make the cut, that's just awkward. If you want to help them, explain to them why they didn't, if you can, without turning it into an even more awkward situation. So that's some insights on picking speakers and presenters. Now, one of the things you want to do is put yourself in the shoes of an attendee and walk yourself through the entire event because you may find that you forgot something. But there was the one thing that kind of took me back and I was just like, oh, and this was literally the morning of us loading the bus where I had a female rider say, I see that you're feeding us lunch. What's your plan for dinner? Because the game kicked off at six o'clock which meant it was going to end at 8 o'clock. And then we were going to be on the bus all night. Right. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> I haven't thought about that. Right. Um, so fortunately, we were just one bus. It wasn't like we had to communicate with another bus. At some point halfway uh, home, I just said to the bus driver, hey, we'd like to stop and grab some food. Right. And we stopped at a spot where there was luckily – um, a McDonald's nearby, a Wendy's, where everybody could walk to different places where they wanted, they wanted to go. Exactly. That was the one thing where somebody was just like, hey, what's what's your plan for this? Where I just was like, all I thought about was the tailgate before the game. I didn't think of I, I guess I just assumed you would eat at the soccer game. And so it, it worked out, thankfully. So things are always going to pop up, but you do also want to walk through the the whole day, the whole event, through the shoes of a presenter, because let's face it, some people like to use Macs, some people are using PCs, and so you're going to have to have, when you're first starting out, a giant bag of connection cables. So I'll give you when I started uh, without a crew, okay? When you're without a crew, you have to have those adapters. Uh, you have to have a VGA adapter. Now it's HDMI adapters because people will bring their own thing. And what I like telling people to do is pre bring your laptop with your PowerPoint on it as well as a jump drive with a laptop for two uh, with your PowerPoint for two reasons. Many times you'll take someone's presentation, put it on your computer and it reformats and it's not the same presentation they just created on their laptop. So if you need to call an audible, the best thing to do is hook up their laptop. It might be a 10 second or one minute delay, but in the process, at least they could have a perfect PowerPoint because it's really important that the speaker feels comfortable. Uh, now with the you know with Podfest, you're talking about an event where we're going to have close to a thousand people, if not more. I need those presentations. I have to give them to the AV guy. But like I said, if something goes wrong, I want to make sure that the presenter has their laptop. So if I have to, I'll plug in in the back their laptop in to make sure that, or or I'll allow them to do it on the podium. So that way, in case there's an error and it reformed their PowerPoint, we could have their exact PowerPoint. But at the same time, I have to schedule ten minutes in between speakers. In case someone goes long, someone is short, or we have these technical difficulties, you have to have it scheduled into the program. Yes, technology is not always your friend. I think I was at one event, and I really like the fact that they said every presenter will bring their own laptop, and you will either have an HDMI cable or a VGA output. You know, this this is the kind of output you need, either, you know, VGA or HDMI and then at the podium where you put your laptop, you just plugged it in. 
And that way, you know, if your laptop doesn't have some sort of adapter like that, you need to go buy one because that's my preferred way because Chris is right. I've been at a couple of different places where I email them my presentation and then I had a lot of my slides. I will use the strategy of having just one giant word on the screen and then all of a sudden we go to that and it's like, well, that was supposed to say consumption, but now it says consumption and the NG or ON or whatever is on the second line because the formatting has been completely horked, which drives me bonkers. So I would say communicate with your presenters, make sure they have the right connections on their computer, and it's up to them to bring the connector. And when it comes to walking a mile in the shoes of your attendees, you may find out that they actually roll a mile. We did run into a situation where we actually had a handicapped rider uh, who required wheelchair access. Okay. And a week before the trip, I, you know, was emailing back and forth with the transportation carrier and I said, hey, with this wheelchair access, do we have the seats that we've sold or is it lower because of having to remove seats for the wheelchair? Right. And that's when they said, oh yeah, the seats are actually lower. And now here I'm thinking, oh crap, I've just oversold the bus and I've (laughs) got to let four people know they're not coming. Right. In the end, the kid who uh, was in the wheelchair ended up not being able to come Hmm. uh, due to due to some other unforeseen circumstances. Um, and we had a normal bus and thankfully um, I didn't have to tell people that they couldn't come. And if the thought of selling tickets and making money at an event has you energized, you might want to listen to this advice from Chris. If you're doing a large yearly conference, the general consensus is if you're able to lose a little bit of money or break even in your first three years, you're ahead of the game. In your fourth to fifth year is when you should start making money. Uh, You also need to make sure that you have a niche that has vendor capabilities. I could do an event called Multimedia Everything, okay? And I'm not going to attract any sponsors. But when I call my event PodFest Multimedia Expo, I attract people that want to sponsor and purchase booths specifically to cater to podcasters. So – a lot of people actually lose that revenue because they're trying to generalize their audience. Uh, the gentleman that does the Chameleon podcast, he could attract very special – I know that niche pretty well. He could attract very specialized uh, sponsors like ZooMed or people that breed crickets. You know, They feed chameleons, so you have to buy crickets when you, when you have chameleons. And caging, which is something that he was selling himself. So if you're able to attract sponsors, there's three legs of revenue that a event brings in. There's ticket revenue. There's sponsorship revenue, and then there's what we call um, upsell uh, if you have a higher ticket mastermind-type revenue uh, or you have affiliate revenue. You affiliate with someone's uh, course, and you sell that, and you make affiliate revenue. If you could hit all three of those revenue streams, you're going to do really well. If you only hit two out of the three, you have a good chance of breaking even or making some money. If you only hit one out of the three, it's going to be very tough to make money at an event. Your your best chance is to try and hit all three out of three, but that comes with time as you build up the event and the reputation. But what if you've gone from just a meetup to something that you do want to cover the cost of the meetup now because it's getting a little bigger? How do you choose a price? That's a great question. If it's something, um, if you're in the local marketplace, 
you're probably you're probably not always, but you're probably going to charge less than if it's a national event. So if I have to fly to uh, social media marketing world, Michael Stelzner could get away charging a thousand to fifteen hundred for a couple reasons. One is social media marketing world has a track record now for close to ten years, I think, or or something like that. It's been going on for years. So there's a premium you're paying for the consistency of his event. Plus, I have to travel, so I'm going to spend at least a thousand bucks just to get out to California uh, with my hotel room. So the ticket price is going to be naturally higher. If I do a local event, let's say I'm in Ohio and I'm doing a local event, ticket prices might be $99 uh, per person for a half day or one day because I got a uh, a hotel room that's um, really cheap. You know, I got a good price on it and I'll break even pretty quickly. So you just have to, what I would say is you got to factor your expenses kind of how much it's going to cost you with your AV crew or are you doing your own AV and then backdoor it. And also it depends on how valuable is the information. So if Dave, for instance, if uh, what's a niche podcast you featured recently? Um, Are we going hyper niche kind of thing or just yeah, hyper, hyper. Uh, chameleon breeding? Okay. Well, the chameleon guy is probably the only guy in the world teaching people about chameleons. So he could probably charge two, three, four, five hundred for a ticket, and he might get maybe ten people, but you know, ten people at four hundred dollars a piece is four thousand dollars. And he, all he needs to do is get a boardroom at a hotel, and the boardrooms are gonna cost you maybe $160, $200 tops. So um, the more specialized the information, the more money you could you could usually charge for a ticket. A Panther chameleon, for instance, in his niche, goes anywhere from four hundred to six hundred dollars. So we know that in his niche, people are spending just for the chameleon, 400 to 600, the setup could be another 500 to 1,000. So it gives you an idea what to charge. If you're in a crowded marketplace, uh, it's going to be tougher to charge for that ticket. So for, for instance, we, we sell podcasting tickets for a two- or three-day conference. Those kind of tickets should be 500 minimum to 1,000. Well, what we've done this year is our tickets are starting out now uh, anywhere from the 250 to 350, but we're going to have a VIP level which is anywhere from 600 plus, that will help offset the cost. So the VIPs get VIP service, but they also help offset the cost of the event so we could do bigger, awesome things and still have a general admission ticket that everybody could afford. Once you have the price, how do you go about selling tickets? A lot of people use Eventbrite. I've done that when I've done my podcasting in six weeks class where I had a limited number of tickets. And when it came to selling tickets to the bus, this is how Nick did it. I set up a PayPal button on my website. People would fill out the, the web form and then they would submit their, their contact information. So I got the address information. I got the phone numbers of all the bus riders and then they would pay through PayPal. Now, the other thing you have to keep in mind, all these things behind the scenes you have to have planned in advance. How far in advance do you have to let your audience know so that you can actually give them enough time to attend the event? It depends. If you want to do something casual, and, and, and it depends how many um, fans you have in that locale. Or let's say, for instance, Dave, let's say you're coming to PodFest and you want your people attending PodFest to do a meetup. That's different, right? You know you know who's showing up. They know who's showing up and you have a meetup. But let's say it's in your local area. You want people to meet you in the state of Ohio. I would do a four-week uh, lead time so everybody knows, hey, next month on this day, this time, uh, I'm going to have a meetup. Uh, for everybody to come together. And one of the things you need to realize is every, not everybody is going to be able to make it that time. As long as you could get a decent percentage of them to show up, you're ahead of the the game. 
if three or four people say, oh, I could do another day, it doesn't mean change the date you already set. It means next time maybe you want to consider a different day and time. But once you set your date in stone, unless it's on some kind of national holiday, I, I wouldn't change I wouldn't change that time and date. Plan ahead. Start early. Yeah, whatever you think you're you need, like double the time probably. Yeah. I think we started six weeks before the bus trip. And I if I could do it all over again, I would have started maybe twelve weeks. Give yourself time. Keep in mind, not everybody listens to your podcast every single week. I know. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? So they may have missed the announcements. And keep in mind that we've heard how every event is going to have a little hiccup or things of that nature. And many times this goes unnoticed. Here's what Daryl said. The only ones who knew we, there was a few mistakes were the, 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 the people in the crew. Right. The audience, I think, were, were fine, but they said everything was fine. They were happy. They're learning things. That's the whole purpose of what we were trying to do. How can we educate up-and-coming podcasters? Even seasoned podcasters are like, oh, my God, this is great. They're learning things. Mm -hmm. People getting thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads um, are learning something from this conference. That was the best reward ever. But what about if you get negative feedback? Well, there's two kinds of feedback, okay? And this is, uh, as a podcaster, you'll understand this. You'll have people that say, like, I hate your voice. There's nothing you can do about that feedback, okay? So that's just like, here's what I'm thinking, and I'll throw it at you and see what happens. Then you have people that actually listen to your show or they attend your event. They care about you, and they give you really bullet-pointed feedback of, hey, here's what I'd like to see. Uh, Those people, I actually will read their feedback. Many times I'll agree with it. And I'll just uh, I'll create a file. So for next year, when we start promoting, I'll read that feedback, make sure that I'm I'm on par with that feedback. So one of the things we had some business owners that told us last year, we'd love if there was a business owner track within podcasting. So uh, it's more focused on uh, the business owners. That way, the creatives have their own track and all that. So we're actually implementing a business owner track for PodFest uh, for the people that want to implement podcasting within their business. They have a, a, a certain need set. And that's good for us because now the creatives will have their own track. The techies will have their track. So it gives the it makes the education more specialized and we're able to serve a larger audience uh, and also make sure that we service their their educational needs. I asked Chris after doing thousands of events, what was his biggest train wreck and how did he handle it? We used to do a cruise every year and we'd have about 50 to 100 people attending. And one of our friends... Greg, who's an internet marketer, spends a lot of money on internet marketing education, travels the world. Uh, We would give him the leeway to book half of the speakers from that world. So he'd get us like some really amazing people that would be on the cruise to teach that I never I never met them, but they love Greg. So they showed up to teach. Well, I said to him, you know, we want people that could really challenge our thinking. Well, I think he took it to extreme and he brought a guy. Uh, a Latin guy, so understand that he had a, a, a slight accent. Not That's not the problem. You'll see what the problem is in a second. And he was going to teach about internet marketing, but he decided that that's not what we needed, even though that's what this was, an internet marketing cruise. He decided that he was going to tell us about the birds and the bees and how um, he would say uh, it was kind of very similar to the comment that Trump said that he got in trouble for. Right. Um, he said, uh, you need to bleep this out there. Right. He said, guys, you need to grab women by the, um, you know what word, 
let's just put it this way. He said stuff that it was the only time in my life my whole body broke out into a sweat head to toe. Okay. <laughs> Literally. Okay. Um, and I froze. So we sped up his time, obviously, from 30 minutes to 15. And then when he was done, I had to create a protocol and we had to create the hook. You know, you get it right. like literally the new uh, I never had that happen before. The things that he was saying, uh, he was telling people he's a swinger. Uh, I'm sure you're judging me for that. What do, what do you think? Because I'm a swinger. What what What's going through your head? Why are you judging me? And I'm thinking like, how does this pertain to Internet marketing? Where is this coming from? So um, we obviously it was the everybody laughed about it. We had a good sense of humor. The women went after him. They schooled him after. They're like, hey, honey. <laughs> we're not, we weren't here to listen to that. We were here for internet marketing. What the heck's wrong with you? Um, he was a good guy, believe it or not. He just, at this moment, he figured that's what we needed. So the new process now is if anyone goes off the deep end, we cut the mics off and we escort them off the stage, which, you know, after 1700 at that time, 1700, I've never had that happen before since. Yeah, that would be, uh, we had a thing when I was in a band that if a bar, if we're in a bar and a, uh, fight broke out, no matter what time of year, we were to stop the song immediately and bust into Silent Night. That was the plan. I, I could just see you at the back of the room going, oh, my God, what, what's, what's Dave, happening? Dave, I froze and my head started sweating. I've never had that in my feet at the same time. So we've heard where it's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. Would you do it next year, Daryl? I look at life like a chess game. I'm always looking at the next move. So while I'm sitting here, I'm looking what would I do different? So on, so, so, and so people already approach me and saying, see you next year. So yes, I will definitely have a national podcast power conference next year. And there was talk about considering Detroit, but I think I'm going to keep it right in Perrysburg. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was stressful, but I also, now that I've gone through it, right. think it will be easier as I do it more. And as we know, that Chris is holding PodFest 2018. I asked him, any preview of what's going to be happening? We're going to be delving into how iTunes is uh, allowing people to do series and seasons. We're actually going to delve into artificial intelligence and what that means uh, to podcasting and how people uh, you know, uh, will be finding podcasts. So we're going to go into the future of technology. And for fun, we're actually going to do the first ever roast at a uh, podcasting conference i can't announce who the roast is but i can tell you it'll be worth uh anyone listening to this podcast to attend it's gonna be a lot of fun so we have a lot of cool things in play um we're gonna be announcing stuff uh, beginning of october we already have a, a few hundred uh confirmed and and growing by the day so we're really excited for podfest uh february 8th to 10th in orlando next year and i want to thank everybody who participated chris kermitzos from podfest.us as well as the executive producer of the messengers if you haven't seen that yet go to itunes go to amazon look for the messengers colon a podcast documentary it's a movie about podcasting check it out as well as uh, daryl e mccullough you can find him over at for the full circle podcast show.com and the one and only nick suberling from CincinnatiSoccerTalk.com. I got to tell you one thing. It was really cool about going to Daryl and Nick's house was you get to know somebody when you sit in their basement. Daryl had some of the coolest. He like 
collects all sorts of cool stuff. He had this little baby miniature Prince guitar that was awesome. And it's funny because there may be married people out there who hear me being single with no kids and think, oh, that would be so awesome. And I got to tell you, when I pulled into Nick's street, it just reeked of neighborhood, like sidewalks with cracks, big trees, shade, people mowing their lawns, that kind of thing. And I'm literally, as I pulled on the street, there's Subes throwing the pigskin with his son in the driveway. It's like I was walking into a Norman Rockwell painting, and I realized that most people have no idea what that means now. And uh, and then we go into his studio, which is really nice. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Uh, Nick's wife is a graphic artist. And she went through and found his first podcast ever, took the WAV file and printed it out and then framed it. That's a cool gift. And that's the last thing I want to talk about today is... I pointed this out in my, I did a presentation about growing your audience and much of that presentation, you've heard me talk about it here. And I mentioned how when you're small, let's get small. And uh, all these people are talking about their stats. I got 8 million downloads in 37 seconds. No, you didn't quit lying. But when you're small, you have the ability to connect to your audience when like the big people can't, they can't reply to every email and every tweet and everything else. And you can. And so it was interesting because I was listening to podcast junkies and in, it was Harry who was interviewing Natalie Ekdahl. And I've basically sent emails and, and actually I've sent videos to them saying, wow, I really like your show. So they, we're talking about me on their show about the fact that I was talking about them. I know this is, we almost need a scorecard, but the fact that they were talking about me made me giddy. And so if you can connect with your audience, it makes them giddy. I've, I've mentioned this before, but I got to tell you something. I've never seen this happen. I use acuity scheduling for my consulting if you go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash acuity scheduling and acuity is A-C-U-I-T-Y. And they sent me a box and I've had companies send me things before, but this had a t-shirt that was about podcasting. It had cat treats for Bernie. It had a outlet that works with the Amazon Echo and it had a coffee mug. He said, picking it up that says, want people to listen to you, start a podcast. It had a bunch of stickers that says, meow, kittens love acuity scheduling. So a bunch of stickers. And what I thought was cool about this, so it was from acuity scheduling. And part of the reason they did that is so I would say acuity scheduling on this podcast. But again, this wasn't, this is, we talked about a couple episodes ago, the um, yeah, n- n- no. This is the direct opposite of um, yeah, no. This is what? Holy cow, yes. Because it proved that they listened to my show, or in this case, shows. Because they, the, when they threw in the Amazon thing, I'm like, wait a minute. How did they figure, I don't, somebody did their homework. 
And I'm just here to tell you, it made me feel warm and fuzzy all over. And so when you do these little things for your audience, I I was not planning on leaving Acuity Scheduling anytime soon. I'm never leaving these guys unless somebody comes along and they double their price or their service goes down. No way. I was blown away. So realize with your audience, you can do these little things that really, really, really makes an impact. So like I said, in the future, we will, I consider this part one of this, this topic of what if I want to do a live event for my audience? Because I really do think that's the best way. It's not the most efficient. Well, it is the most efficient because in the same way, right? If you think about this, Acuity did something for me that was very personal, And the best way to get personal is to look at somebody in the eye and talk to them and meet them. I met some really cool people in Perrysburg this weekend. And so I just think it's interesting. And I run a Northeast Ohio podcasters meetup. If you go to neohiopodcasters.com, we meet the last Monday of every month. And it's in Cuyahoga Falls, which is right off of Route 8. And so I want to grow that. And so I have a interview scheduled to talk to somebody who's been doing that. So we're going to be talking not all month, but we will be talking off and on about meeting with your audience because I think that's a strategy, much like having your own Facebook group. We've mentioned about how that's a cool way to get to know your audience. This is that on steroids. So please don't think that the next three episodes are going to be about the same topic, but we are going to come back and revisit this because there are a lot more people I want to talk to. I want to talk to, if I can, Dan or Jared from Podcast Movement. Um, I'd like to, uh, I know the guy, one of the guys on Social Media Examiner, I, I will be speaking there, by the way. I'm sorry, Social Media Marketing World. I'll be speaking there. I'll be uh, involved at PodFest and I'll be, so February is going to be busy for me. And I'll also be at uh, Social Media Marketing World. So I'm looking forward to that. I'd like to get somebody from there. And I've got a person that's just grown the Atlanta local meetup off the charts. So I'm going to be talking to him as well. So that's coming up. And also I have, uh, I'll be talking about a really weird problem in audio. So if everybody goes, hey, you didn't get your geek on in this episode. We're going to get our geek on times two. And that is what happens if you record something It's live with your portable recorder. It sounds great in headphones, but when you listen to it on a speaker, it's horrible. I'm going to solve that mystery in the next episode. Now, another mystery I would like to solve for you is how do you start a podcast? How do you grow your podcast? How do you plan your podcast? How do you build a website? How do you do a mix minus? How do I get myself into iTunes? All those things are answered. Quickly, I might add, at theschoolofpodcasting.com. What's the School of Podcasting? It's the oldest, longest-running website that teaches people how to podcast. It's online. You can watch it on your computer. You can watch it on your phone. That'd be a little small, but you could do it. You could watch it on your iPad. You can learn how to podcast wherever you are. It's $49 a month, or you can get two months free by buying a year at a time. Now, in addition to that. You also get priority email support. We do live coaching twice a month where you can just come and ask me. Now that in itself is a $400 value. Actually, it's more than that because it's supposed to be like an hour, an hour and a half, and it pretty much goes until I run out of my voice. So that right there is worth 
the price of admission in addition to the private Facebook and everything else. So I look forward to seeing you on the inside of the School of Podcasting. I said at the beginning of the show, I do have a coupon code, and that is LISTENER, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, and I hope to see you on the inside. If you have any questions or comments, go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash contact. And until next week, class is dismissed. Take care and God bless.